Welcome to the Strive for More podcast. My name is Jared Hendry and I'm the founder of Strive. We're a group of young entrepreneurs that you've probably never heard of. In our weekly meetings, we share keystone habits that can change the lives of the other entrepreneurs in the group. And now I want to share those habits with you. Each week, you'll get access to what we call the teachable moment. And that focuses on improving the quality of our health, wealth, and relationships. Today, I'm really fortunate to be joined by Jonathan Barlow. Jonathan Barlow is a performance specialist who leads the pro and elite sports divisions at Exos in Phoenix, Arizona. Exos is a human performance company whose main focus is to upgrade lives through movement, nutrition, recovery, and mindset practices. Throughout the year, Jonathan coaches a wide range of pro and collegiate athletes, including NFL, NBA, MLB, and UFC fighters, as well as members of the U.S. Special Forces. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Jared, thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Let's jump right in. Um, so first of all, our background, you and I, we go back many years, um, and I think it's important that our listeners know that you are definitely the person that has mastered the most diverse and wide-ranging types of sports, from skimboarding to mountain biking. And so with that said, I want to talk about the history of your fitness journey. How did you get into personal training in the first place? Um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting path. I always had a passion for a wide array of sports. Um, I was average at a lot of things, not really great at anything. Um, but I loved, I loved helping people learn different sports. And many times people said, oh, you should be a teacher. And I thought, I don't want to be a teacher and stuck in a school all the time. Um, so I went off to college and studied um, like exercise science and found out about kind of the world of strength and conditioning and sports performance where I could kind of take my love for, for teaching um, and apply it um, to movements and to people's bodies in a setting that wasn't just in the classroom. Yeah, I can't picture you being stuck inside for any period of time without exercising. Um, yeah. So, so I just want to get a sense of um, you, you transitioned to Phoenix, right? Like you, you went to school down there. So can you kind of walk us through? Yeah. So I went, yeah, I went, I went to a great, um, sports institute in uh, Victoria that was linked up with Camosun college. I'm sure some of the listeners have heard of that. Um, and had to do a, I did a couple year program there and then found, a basically through some different connections and an uncle who lives down here in Phoenix, um, made my way down to a company called athletes performance, which is now called Exos. And I did a four-month internship there um, under a bunch of very elite strength and conditioning coaches, um, just kind of learning the ropes, um, figuring out, you know, what it looks like to train athletes um, from a mental and physical standpoint. Um, and after that four-month internship, it was a big surprise to me, but they offered me a, a three-month temporary position, uh, training some different MLB players as well as a lot of high school soccer teams. And so that was kind of the, the door in and the three months went pretty well and they asked me to stay on. And so I've been down here for eight and a half years now. Wow. That's incredible. So what you went down for is just an internship for maybe some fun ended up turning into a career and a lifestyle and, and a home. Yeah, absolutely. I knew, I knew I wanted to really, you know, make the most out of the internship and more than just, you know, check off the college hours, wanted to, you know, try to learn a bit of a craft and see if something could come of it, but didn't and didn't expect to find a job and stay down here and then meet my wife down here. And it's kind of Phoenix has yeah, been home now for quite a while. And now home to your brand new baby boy. So congratulations on that. that as That's well. right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Can you walk us through what Exos is like, how are they different and kind of how big are they now? Where did they start and where are they at now? Yeah, so great question. So Exos started back in 1999, um, basically in, in, in Tempe, Arizona, um, and it was called Athletes Performance. And the founder, whose name is, is Mark Verstegen, he basically had a vision um, to create like a refuge for athletes where they could just come and get everything taken care of. So get their training taken care of, get their physical therapy, get, you know, meet with sports psychologists, get their nutrition, have chefs cook for them. Um, and it seems kind of like a very basic concept now, like, of course, go one place where you can get everything done. Uh, but back in 20 years ago now, it didn't exist. And so Mark essentially they created um, a, a separate industry uh, and it's really, really grown since then. So, you know, it used to be just one small facility um, in Tempe, Arizona, and it's grown now. We have over 5,000 employees um, across the world. We have a big reach in the athletic setting, but probably uh, the biggest part of our business is in proactive healthcare. 
trying to find like sustainable health solutions for um, just normal individuals who work for, you know, companies such as Google, Intel, Tesla, Nintendo, um, you know, all across the globe and giving their companies solutions to have healthier employees so they can be more productive at work, but also, you know, enjoy their time at home with their families more as well. So, um, yeah, it's quite a, it's been quite a cool company to be a part of seeing the growth. Um, you know, since I've been there, the company's grown from 250 to 5,000. Um, and so it's, it's been really cool to see the evolution of a company that was just, you know, started out for the purpose of training the best of the best athletes. And now, um, really seeing the, uh, the values and the methodology and what the company believes for being scaled, uh, appropriately to pretty much everyone. That is so neat. You mentioned something about proactive health and I definitely want to come back to that. I've made a note here so that. Um, our listeners can can figure out exactly what that means and maybe how that applies to our lives. Yeah. Before we do that, though, I, I want to circle back and just a little bit more about your life at Exos. Can you walk us through what does a day in your life look like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about working there is the days always look different. Uh, I mean, we'll get in like certain seasons, like say, if it's in, if, if it's in the summer, it's NFL offseason, the days look pretty similar. And if it's, say, in the fall where it's more baseball or winter, um, then days look a little different there, but, you know, typically show up, um, you know, do about 30 minutes of preparation work and then would start leading like a group, which of pro athletes, probably like an, say an NFL group. And there's going to be around 10 to 15 guys in that group. Um, the nice thing about the work we do, it's not just in the, in the weight room getting strong. We spend like half of our time, at least um, out on the, we have a big field working on like movement efficiency, um, basic drills to work on agility, acceleration technique. And so, Um, we do a lot of that and then, um, you know, finish with some strength and conditioning, speed, power work inside. So, you know, I usually have one or two groups like that in the morning, um, of professional athletes. And then in the afternoon, um, have a few hours, probably, you know, two hours to actual program and come up with a plan for these athletes that I've been working with long-term plans. And then in the, um, usually I lead like our interns through some sort of education, uh, we have a bunch of, you know, apprentices who are with us for months on end and we try to really groom them up um, to be, you know, young professionals in the field. Um, and then, you know, some seasons I even get to work with our middle school kids in the evening. That's what I got to a lot this fall, just, you know, trying to teach 11 and 12 year olds um, how to move and how to make movement fun. And so it's there's really so much variety. That's one thing I love about the job is, you know, sometimes I'm I'm coaching elites, um, which is the primary job, but once in a while I get to fill in and coach our young little middle school squirts or some of our older adults. Um, and we do a, a lot of education as well. So getting to educate, you know, interns, other strength coaches, teach courses. So there's really a lot of variety day to day, which keeps it fun. I think your life is a dream and it just sounds so foreign for somebody that doesn't live in that world every day. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to touch back on something. You mentioned that you develop long-term plans for yeah. NFL athletes or MLB athletes, for example. How do you even come up with that plan? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, when I first started in the industry, I, I thought, okay, the athlete tells me or I, have, I realize what they want to accomplish, and then I just go write the plan. And, you know, you don't really take many, you know, personal factors of that person into account. And so now it's – now the longer I've been doing this, the more I realize, like, the plan is – you know, there's an ideal plan on with, with the science of what you do, but that is, that's not really the job. The job is, you know, figuring out a plan that this person will actually want to do, you know? Um, and so that's kind of a process that happens over time is you, you sit down and you meet with them and you see what they want to accomplish. And I try to, as quick as I can, get a gauge of kind of their personality and say, do they like training? Because a lot of athletes, I'd say most probably don't love it that much. You know, how much time do they want to commit to it? Um, what if some what have been some ways they've had success in the past or what have been some ways that they haven't had success in the past? What are their injuries, you know? Um, and then from there, we try to craft up a, a long-term plan that has some flexibility as well, you know, because I always tell the guys, I'm not going to pretend to know you perfectly this first day. Right. And it's going to be a, a, a kind of a constant plan and then reevaluate plan and re- reevaluate um, as we go. So I can, you know, give them the best product and this cater to their needs and, and, and wants and abilities. How do you measure where those guys are at with their fitness, with their mindset? Do you have techniques to say this guy is a six out of 10 in this, in agility, let's say, and yeah. he's a 10 out of 10 in bench press or strength? What yeah. Are those measurements? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a good example. Like starting on Thursday, we have our NFL combine program starting, which is essentially we get about 50 guys from all the top colleges in the States and we prepare them for the NFL combine, the NFL draft. And so certain measurables there, you know, we do a bunch of entry, entry testing on 40 yard dash, their vertical, their broad jump, a bunch of different agility drills. And then from there, we kind of look at where they're starting and get an idea of where they will be able to finish if everything goes well. And then contact their agents and talk about you know expectations for the long term so that's one way we measure like the physical um physical progress or physical states then we have other tests that measure you know more so like we do like uh certain like psychological tests um that some of our sports psychologists will do to prepare them and see like where they're at from like a a buy-in standpoint or where they're at for you know uh their own mindset or the nutrition so um, I think it, it's, it's kind of tailored specific to the certain person you're working with and what they're preparing for, you know, um, cause you know, cause they are great. we got this NFL combine player. He's coming in to train. We're going to do an endurance test. And then you realize endurance doesn't mean anything for when they get drafted. It's, it's all about their speed and their power. Cause that's all they get measured at, at the combine. And so, um, really we have to be smart about taking measurables for things that actually count. Mm-hmm. Any of those athletes that you work with, like, is there anybody there that we would know? Have you ever worked with kind of common household names? Is that information that you can share? Yeah, I can share. I can definitely share some of that. Um, let's see. In, in terms of baseball, I haven't worked, I've kind of phased out of baseball a little bit, but some of the guys there would be like Andre Ethier, Dustin Pedroia, Jacoby Ellsbury, some of the bigger names there. Um, there's some current UFC fighters that are doing quite well. I've worked with Max Holloway. Um, Kane Velasquez, Kamaru Usman. He's the Kamaru Usman, I believe, the middleweight um, champion right now. Um, some guys from some young guys from the NFL, like TJ Watt. He's doing really well with the Steelers. Um, DK Metcalf. Everyone might have seen him, the Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, who his physique's gone viral. Um, got to prepare him for the NFL last year, so that's been fun. And then a handful of other of other guys as well. And didn't the year that you trained Ethier, was that the year that he won the MVP? Um, Somewhere think, around that time? Yeah, I think I, I helped him with one of his gold glove years. I don't. I think Dustin Pedroia won MVP. I think that was right before I started working with him. Uh, can you take credit for it? Again, again, I can definitely not take credit for it. I can take credit the fact that he didn't win it the next year. <laughs> oh, no, it's on you? Yeah, it's all Shoot. on me. What, what's it like training a professional athlete for somebody that has watched these guys on TV? Me, I'm saying for all these years, right. it's gotta be a surreal experience. Yeah, it, it, it was at, at first. And then after a while, it's like, okay, these are just, you know, normal dudes who, you know, struggle to wake up on time. Like, you know, other people do for their alarm and, you know, they get annoyed at people or they don't, they're just normal guys, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons they love coming to Exos is they don't really get the special treatment. Like, of course, we give them a high product, but it's like, hey, Andre, or hey, TJ, like, they're just another dude, you know? And so I think the more, as a coach, you can get down to that level, um, the better, because that way, you you know, you'll be able to hold them accountable um, and, you know, actually coach them as opposed to be, being in awe of them. So um, definitely the, the awe factor grows off pretty quickly, especially when they're 15 minutes late for their fourth session of the week. Yeah, <laughs> but how would you even hold, like, Kane Velasquez? How would you hold him accountable? No offense. Oh, I know. I, I would not be holding him at all. He'd be ruining me. <laughs> um, I think I think with that, like there's many different ways that the typical like method in the like the strength and conditioning world, especially in college, is like you take someone into the room and yell at them or you humiliate them in front of people. And that does nothing for people's self-confidence and doesn't create an environment where they want to be present. Um, and so really at Exos and it was just really like that person. And so Kane was awesome when he was training here, but also like say a young 22 year old who's trying to make it in the NFL and he's showing up late or he's not doing what he's supposed to just, you know, you, ha- you ha- pull him aside and say, you know, let's, let's say his name's Jared, you know, just, just for, just for saying, you know, you say, Hey Jared, is everything going okay? Like I've noticed lately you've been a little 50 minutes late and you know, that doesn't really throw my game off too much, but I noticed you're going to miss out on a lot of these pieces of the session, which is really going to have a big impact in your 40 yard dash. And I know the 40 is really important to you because you want to get drafted in the third round. And, you know, you got a lot riding on this with your family and whatnot. And so just let me know if I can help because I, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be worried if this was a trend really, you know, pulled back, pulled you back from some of your results you could achieve, you know? And so just showing the guys, they're kind of 
you're there for them. And then, you, you know, you'll get a read. Some guys respond really well to that. Some guys might be like, okay, coach, gotcha. Uh, and they might not respond very well. And so you might have to take him to an office and have more of a sit down conversation with them. Um, and that's, you know, the, the nice thing is <laughs> I've, I've had to tell some guys like, all right, if, you know, if you don't want to be here, you can go find training, find training somewhere else. Um, but I think the real, uh, the real key is just creating an environment where they feel like they are valued. Um, and so asking them questions, showing them you were really there for them um, is a way that I found helps. It's funny how treating someone like a person actually gets you, gets you somewhere in the long run. Well, I think you've always had that as a skill. I, I've always seen you as somebody that is genuine and, and really cares about the outcome of the people that you surround yourself with. And um, yeah, I find it very fascinating that you have to have conversations like that with professional athletes. I think that, again, I think about myself and laughing with some of the guys that I grew up with, for example, and thinking, oh my gosh, if I got paid to work out, right. wouldn't that be incredible? I would do right. that every day. Right. But, but I think that that just blows over how hard these guys have it, that, that sometimes showing up every day, putting in that work for eight hours a day can be really tough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though. Like we think, oh, pro athlete, they must just love their life working out and training all the time. Where a lot of them, they love their sport, but they don't really like training. And to be honest, there's a lot of them who don't even love their sport that much. They're just really good at it. And it's their way to, you know, provide. Um, so that's kind of the fun part of my job is not necessarily writing programs, but figuring out, like trying to understand people. That's really neat. I didn't ever think of that. I just assumed they all loved it. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you know, you were a great athlete growing up and you can think about probably a wide array of coaches you had who were great and weren't great. And, you know, usually the differentiating factor between good coaches you know, and their bond with their athletes is not so much like, yeah, this coach had the best game plans. Those aren't the most memorable coaches. It's like, yeah, this coach really motivated me to play for him. Or, you know, he really tension on the team. He knew how to break the tension between the players who weren't working well together and like really create a bond. And that's essentially what we do. It's, you know, we're like, essentially, I'm like the same as a sport coach. My sport's just performance, you know? And so you, in terms of, you know, performance in terms of their speed and strength and mindset and all that stuff. And so, you face the same issues of basketball or football or baseball or whatever sport coach would, um, especially when you got, you know, big groups of guys working together. You mentioned that you love the job because you love learning about people. Can you share us an example of a time where you had a bit of an epiphany where you went, Oh my gosh, now I really understand people. I really understand athletes. Yeah. There's one that's pretty funny. I was working with a, a cornerback last year who was preparing for the NFL draft and, um, he wasn't a super top prospect, but definitely a good player who, you know, very high chance to play in the league. And as being a cornerback, they need to be, you know, somewhere in like the five to 7% body fat range to have the ideal body fat composi- composition to run a fast 40 yard dash. Um, Cause if they don't run a fast 40 yard dash, that looks bad and their draft stock decreases and they lose a lot of money. And so with this kid, he was sitting at around 11% body fat when he needed to lose quite a bit. And so we're, you know, brainstorming about, you know, how we can, you know, buy good snacks on the weekend and, okay, what grocery store can you go to and then what can you buy? <laughs> and so it's Monday and he comes in and this, you know, he's a kid from the South and so he's, he's got a good accent, pretty funny. And he's like, he called me Barlito. He goes, Barlito, I bought some snacks. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's what I'm talking about. What'd you get? He goes, well, I got Oreos. And I'm like, what? I'm like, dude, are you ki- You got Oreos? He's trying to like hear him out a little bit. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. He's like, the mini size. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so so he, he, he was dead serious telling me like he got mini Oreos saying, okay, it's a snack. He's cutting his calories. Yeah, it's smaller than regular Oreos. So I'm like, I'm doing something good. And so that was just like a real like a real like another learning point for me. It's like the information we think we take for granted, you know, is like, we have this curse of knowledge as we, we, in our industry and in whatever industry and in, we, we expect, you know, people to know the same as we do or be able to speak our language so easily, whether you're in, again, sports or whether you're in healthcare, whether you're in, you know, your car salesman, like people don't know how much, you know, cause you're the professional you often take that for granted. So that was just a good reminder. Like, man, I can't take, I can't take anything for granted with these, with these folks, <laughs> you wow. know? Yeah. You didn't go out and get kale salad is what you're telling me. 
No, a lot of those people haven't seen Kale in their life. I think <laughs> name name of a person. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So, do you know? Did that particular individual ever end up getting down to that five to seven percent body fat, like you mentioned? I, I think he got about to eight, which was pretty good for him. Um, and ended up getting getting invited to a camp and on a team, so it all worked out for him. But um, you know, just again, you think like, oh yeah, pro athlete, like elite, you know, Division One player, played at like Alabama and all this stuff. Like he he would know all this stuff, but yeah, you know, we take it for granted. Huh, that's so interesting. Yeah, or like, say I had another NBA player um, who's very a starting point guard in the NBA, very elite, and he'd been in the I think he's been in the league for nine years now. And I I was interviewing him on his first day, and he had never done an off season training program before because he because he because he because he hates bench press, and that's all he thought it would be. And what? so you know, and so he and he hates you know he hates lifting heavy weights, and so it's really interesting. You know, you talk to all these guys that have success and, um, you realize like you realize they don't love it and you got to be very creative as a, as a coach or as the person they're coming to seeking advice. Um, so yeah, there's definitely been a lot of funny stories over the years, which have, you know, been a, a lot of learnings for myself. That's unbelievable that he had never done a training program before. Yep. Is it, was it just me that thinks or that I guess grew up thinking that professional athletes, that they all love their job, that they just ate and slept it and breathed it. Yeah. Did you go, did you think that going in or did uh, you? Absolutely thought that growing in, going into it. And I, I thought that up until working here and I think it probably just, you know, up in the last five, six years starting to get to know the guys a lot more and, you know, just talking to them after training sessions, especially in the NFL, there's a lot of guys who, their love for football is not really there anymore. Um, just cause it's such a, it beats their body up so much, such a demanding game. And they're just, you know, waiting to hit their, whatever their goal is, their five years, their eight years, whatever it is, and then punch their ticket. Yeah. It's kind of naive on my end thinking that looking at these guys and thinking, wow, these guys must have it made mm-hmm. when really like, there's not a lot of 75 year old professional NFL football players Right, most have not at all. No, and the average career is like it's always changing with the stat. But I think some of them are two point seven years, you know. Wow. And in certain sports like that, like we think, oh, great, like you get to play a sport you love for a living. But really, it's like they're walking around thinking, man, am I going to get fired today, tomorrow? Like, you know, it's like it's like you and I having a job and not being sure. Like, okay, if I show up to work tomorrow, am I going to have my job? Like, did I do enough last year or that last month to to make you know to make quota? Um, and so they're all, you know, 90% of the guys or 95% of the guys who are not the superstars are always just living in this kind of like awkward middle ground where they're not sure, like, will I have a job next year? Will I have to, do, you know, to go back to school? Like, what's going to, what's going to happen? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think if I lived in that environment, I would also just try and get as much money as I could as quickly as I could and get out. Yep. That's what a lot of them try to do. <laughs> so yeah, it's rational to me. Yeah, Absolutely. Any other stories that you can share about working with those professional athletes? Um, oh, dude, there's there's a lot of fun. like Dustin Madroy, He was he was hilarious. Just in terms of, we'd have to like stop training sessions someday because he would just be telling stories to all the other major league players, and they'd be just <laughs> cracking up, laughing. You know, certain stories very inappropriate. He'd be telling us just like, you know, there's there's almost been too many that I can't remember. Um, you know, how to, how to document them all. Well, um, it is, it is really refreshing though, just cause we get athletes from all different walks of life. You know, we get a lot mm-hmm. of Europe, Europeans, um, we get a lot of Australian, um, rugby and Aussie rules football players. And so we don't get them for very long, typically like two to six weeks is typically how long they come. Um, but it's, it's really, really refreshing to get different cultures, um, and that exposure as well. That is so cool. I think if I was a professional athlete, which I'm not, but I would try to be that really funny professional athlete. Yeah, that, that would definitely be you. Oh, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of those guys. Like we we used to, we used to have one uh, one of our combine classes. I think five years ago, one of the guys named Paul. He was a running back from UCLA. Um, he would always hold something called Four Bar Fridays, and so he'd go around and he'd like record everyone rapping their best um, set of bars on a Friday. Um, so that that was pretty entertaining. Uh, and, and, you know, until the official camera crews showed up, the Adidas camera crew showed up and all the guys went silent. 
Well, I guess our listeners are going to have to listen to the end of this podcast because at the end, John and I are going to do four bar Mondays. Four bar Mondays. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> more more bar Mondays. Y- yes. Um, so you also work with, like you said, you work with a lot of young, talented athletes. Mm-hmm. Any insights into what differentiates the ones that do really well from maybe the ones that kind of peter out and, and don't do very well? Yeah, I'd say just like love of the game. You know, the ones, the ones who really love their craft and want to do whatever they can, um, you know, who just have like a desire to improve. Uh, those are the ones who, who succeed. And, you know, we see a lot of guys just and girls just coast through on talent who are young athletes. And, um, you know, all they all they look at is like their sport and they don't see how other areas of life can affect their sport. And so, you know, you got to love it because if you love it, that'll ensure you'll be able to do it for a long time and you'll like actually want to do what you're doing. Um, and then also just a desire to like seek out other areas, um, you know, in terms of, nutrition in terms of um you know extra like strength work to just increase your durability um play other sports you know um so i think yeah that's kind of a i kind of gave you a lot of answers there but i think in terms of young athletes like the ones who i see successful is like they love their sport and they enjoy the process of their sport being playing practicing training they they, they, they like that lifestyle do you think that fades over time uh, yes. It, you know, especially if say like you love your sport in high school and college and then you eventually you go to the pros and it's way more performance driven and it's not as much enjoyable and you're more of just a regular person out there on the field or court, wherever it is. Absolutely. It seems like our world, especially in sports, very much so in sports is moving towards such a data driven place yep. that a little bit of the human component has been taken away and it's now what did you produce and kind of what's the big data for sure. Yeah. Where it's just all numbers. What can you give me? You know, even, even the, you know, the, the best, the best players, it's, it's, you know, it's sadly, it's not about what you bring from a, you know, it's it's, really their measurables. What do you bring from a stats? What do you bring from a, like, how can you help this team win? You know? So everyone is, everyone is dispensable. And if you're not producing, you're you're hitting the road, you know, which is, which is tough because you're being, you know, your being your identity is something that um, can can come and go so quickly for those guys. You mentioned that athletes that you work with that they lo- the love of the game is kind of what determines how they do. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you do with those young athletes to mentally prepare them for uh, for achievement? Yeah, I think just like trying to set like habits. Um, and a great thing about Exos is it's like a it's such a high performance culture. So if a young athlete comes in the door, like he might be training with one coach and then, you know, 20 feet away, there's a few professional athletes there and then they're hanging out, getting shakes together afterwards. And so, you know, the culture's big, but you know, one, one saying we have is every day is game day. Um, and so we, we, we try to approach like every single day, like, okay, this is Super Bowl, or this is Stanley cup or when it, what, this is world series. Like we need to, uh, even if it's a, a recovery day, like Wednesdays, we have a bunch of recovery workouts. Like, we need to treat this recovery session and, and win this day. Like it's, we're, you know, like it's a championship day. Um, and so I think the more we can get them, them locked into that, um, the better off they are just from like a, the better off they are mentally prepared. Um, and just showing them like what it takes to, to have success, you know, like Bruce Lee is a great quote that, um, you know, long-term consistency always trumps short-term intensity. Um, and trying to get them into that mindset of like, we need to be consistent and have cons- just consistent results over the long haul, as opposed to just this two week blitz that you think is going to fix you, fix everything or get you where you need to be. Long term consistency always trumps short term intensity, short term intensity. I love it. Yeah. So it's basically, I mean, that's a good, just kind of model for life too. It's like, we just need to like plug away at things, you know, it's like a little choo-choo drain, just chugging along as opposed to you know, the Ferrari that blitzes for, you know, the quarter mile and then is out of gas. That's why I'm never buying a Ferrari, John. (laughs) Uh, Cost and fuel, my friend. Yeah. Another one of our uh, little sayings that one of our coaches, Tristan says, is like to just, just echoes kind of that consistent nature is, you know, if you go and have a great day at the gym or a great day at practice, you know, you wake up, the next day it's a new day you should go do it again 
And then if you have a horrible day, a practice or the training or whatever, you wake up, it's a new day, you go to practice again. You know, and so like not to be identified by this, these one-offs um, in terms of if they're great or if it's a really poor session, just stick to the process over time. Um, and that's, you know, that's where you see success. Yeah, man. For my own life, I see that so acutely because I find, you know, we try something new, the podcast or, or you're creating a new fitness program or somebody's starting a business from scratch, whatever it is. And I have been feeling this lately where you put in the work every day, you're trying to get better and you face a setback and then yeah. you face a setback. Yeah. And then you face the setback yeah. and it can be at times really hard to continue pushing through. Right. And so it's nice to get that reinforcement that the long-term consistency, it always trumps that short-term intensity. Yeah. yeah. Because I think if you, like you're saying, if you take that longer term perspective, then it's easier to face some of the ups and the downs. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you, you, you know, there's going to be setbacks along the way. Like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going after something that you really, you know, you, you're pursuing something that you desire and that you have a lot of interest in. Like, it's not a matter of if you have a setback, it's when, you know, and how many there are. Um, and understanding every setback there is an opportunity for growth um, and an opportunity for you to for you to learn something, you know, because really, really we all a lot more than we do, you know. And so a lot of times those kind of rude awakenings are good for us because it, you know, opens our eyes to, man, I don't, I actually don't know about, um, you know, as much about this person as I thought I did or, I actually need to really change my perspective to get, you know, a better idea of my audience for this podcast or whatever it may be, you know? I hope I don't have to change my I'm only kidding. It was just an example <laughs> at the top of my head. No. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. Uh, so a hypothetical question here. Mm-hmm. I know you just had your first little guy. Yeah. But let's say that you've got a, a kiddo, a couple of kids or teenagers, let's say. Yep. And these kids are going off to train with a fitness coach and, and that coach is not you. Uh-huh. What, what kind of questions would you ask that coach? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would ask them kind of like first, like, Hey, what's your, what's your plan or what's your philosophy? You know, um, just, just to know that they're going into that session with some sort of preparation beforehand. Um, you know, and then I'd also want to know like, you know, who, who are some of the people you, you like to learn from, you know, to make sure they're not just these, you know, one-off Instagram trainers who are throwing a bunch of, you know, then there's nothing wrong with Instagram or trainers on Instagram, but a lot of times, you know, people are throwing just flashy things out there to make things look fancy and expensive. And um, I just want to make sure they're committed to like a a long-term process. And um, also too, like they just like to have fun with the kids, you know, that's, that's one thing if I've learned over the years, especially with our high school and our middle school kids is, if they aren't enjoying the process, they're going to burn out and you're going to have a, a 35 year old adult who hates exercise and wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I think, I think uh, one big thing too, like, especially if my kids say with had some sort of injury or was just getting back into sports, I'd want to know like, you know, what's your, what's your, you know, for coaches, especially what's your idea or what's your policy on return to sport? Because I see so many kids now being like, okay, PT cleared me or, you know, physio cleared me to go, participate mm-hmm. and then it's you know then it's like all right let's go full go let's go play you know two 90 minute soccer games this weekend or let's go you know do a big baseball tournament and they then they tear the you know tear the acl or the sprain the ankle they just had recovered or whatever it may be you know so just someone who has a pretty uh a pretty planned approach to it um and it's fun to work with you mentioned that you would ask them about who are the fitness people that they follow who do you mm-hmm. follow Oh, dude, the industry now has got so uh, so cluttered now. But I think definitely some of the people I pay attention to want to be, um, you know, my my boss and mentor, Mark Verstegen, who started the company. He's still heavily involved in the field, which I really appreciate. And he's just a couple doors down that I can always go talk to. Um, one of the big mentors I've had, his name is Brett Bartholomew. Um, he's, he's very active on social media. Um, Coach Brett is his Instagram um, he's, he's had one of the bigger influences in my career, uh, of strength and conditioning. And the thing I love about him is he's, uh, you know, he's a great tactician when it comes to sets and reps and scheming how to build the best, you know, athlete. Uh, but he really understands that it's, it's not just physical. It's more of the, you're more coaching the mental component. And that's where I've learned a lot is from him, um, re- regarding relating to athletes and, and even just, um, 
understand bringing understanding awareness to my coaching uh, mindset that how important the athlete's mindset is. So those would be big. Uh, Mike Boyle is a big name, um, and as well as Dan John. Those are some really good good names people are interested uh, in. Mike Boyle, Dan John, Mark Verstegen, Brett Bartholomew. And just so folks that are listening know, I will put links to these individuals in the show notes. So if you did yeah. want to check these people out, uh, please look in the show notes for that yeah. information. Yeah, I feel like but, I could go on and on about that, but I'll, I'll spare you the details just because <laughs> I think about this for now. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so let's say that somebody like me wants to just get started in a fitness routine. Any recommendations on how they would get started? Yeah. Um, it's funny. The guy I just mentioned, Brett, I remember he told me a story. Someone was asking him, Hey Brett, what's the best way to lose weight? Or what's the, what should I do for weight loss? Um, and I think either he said this or his mentor said this and said, well, what do you like to do? You know, because if, you know, the best thing could be say, Hey, going on a, doing a rowing ergometer or, you know, joining a, joining a, a cycling team or going to the gym five days a week. But if you hate doing that, you're not going to do it for very long. You're going to be miserable, you know? And so, it, it could be as much as, you know, I really like working out once a week and hiking twice a week and that's going to be something you're going to stick to. And so I think the best way to kind of come up with a fitness routine or think about, you know, how, what should I do is to really think like, what do I enjoy and what can I see myself doing for a long time? Um, because so often, again, we're caught up with a short-term fix, right? Like what's the quick work that I can do to like lose this weight and feel good again, you know, or, or lose this weight and look great. Um, but if that's if we just focus on like that is the outcome of losing this weight or getting, you know, getting your my body back or whatever it may be, we're probably just going to resort to what we're doing before once that whole process is over because we don't love what we're doing, you know. So that's that's the biggest thing is find something that I think you're going to enjoy um, and that you'll be able to stick to for a long period of time because then it'll actually pay dividends. What do you love doing? Oh man, that's always changing. My wife, right now I love mountain biking. I've been racing. I've been mountain biking since I was like seven years old, but in the last probably four years, I've kind of had this itch to like train or something again and be competitive. And so I've been, I've been racing mountain bikes pretty competitively for the last uh, four years here in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. So I still, I still enjoy working out, but I've, I've really come to find like balance in life where I used to be, you know, the classic 18 year old kid in college. Let me lift as much weights, get as big and strong as I can. Uh, and then you kind of realize that just lifting weights to get as big as strong as you can, it, it kind of runs its course after a while, as I'm sure you've you've known. And so, uh, you know, find a good routine of lift working out, you know, lifting weights one to two times a week, probably mountain biking three times a week, and you know, shooting hoops from time to time. That is so cool, and I think that that really resonates with me, in part because. I don't love just doing the same routine all the time. Right. I love having some variety and I also love connecting with nature hmm. and just like mountain biking. I'm sure for me, that's hiking or climbing or whatever that is. Yeah. And I think that that's also an important part of the fitness journey. I'm not an expert, but I, I noticed for myself that I'm way more engaged in fitness. Like you say, when it's fun. Yeah. Dude, look, look at a screen or like, you know, go until you hit so many steps or yeah, I burned 100 calories. Like, if you, if you know, if, if you're out there hiking or doing something you love, you're going to be out there for so much longer. It's going to be such a better time. And like you said, if you can do find a way to connect with people, um, makes it all the more better. That's a really nuanced perspective on fitness, and I appreciate that you shared that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you know, there's a lot of ways too that like the fitness industry, the fitness industry is super unhealthy. Like going to the gym five days a week and counting all our calories and, you know, looking in the mirror and, you know, being so critical of our body image. Like I would argue that's probably pretty unhealthy, you know, cause I've been there and I've seen what it's done for my psyche and for my life. And so, you know, I think the more we can be well balanced and find things that we enjoy doing, um, the, the better. Well, I know absolutely nothing about the fitness industry, but I think that that sounds like a really great idea that counting calories is not a good thing. You've been there and you've kind of experienced the, the negatives of that. That to me sounds like a really kind of novel approach that fitness should be fun. And, and I don't often hear that. I hear fitness should be a grind. You need to be at the gym at five in the morning and do two hours of weights and then an hour of cardio. 
Right, right. Well, yeah, and it's like there will be those times, like if you were training for something, like when I'm on my bike training for races, sometimes I'm out at 530 in the morning here in Phoenix and it's still, you know, it's 38 degrees Celsius at 530 in the morning and it's, and it's tough, but then there's, there's like, I'm doing it for something, you know? Um, but, you know, in general, if we're, if we're, if we're training for training for life or, you know, if we're most people out there who are not, you know, say training for a race or a sport or something like that, like you should enjoy most of it. It shouldn't be pulling teeth. I'm really grateful that you translated from Fahrenheit into Celsius for us. It's very approximate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm holding you to it. Just know like when you open an oven to see if whatever the chicken or whatever's done, the turkey's done and that wave of heat hits you in the face, that's what it's like walking outside anytime here from May to September. Ugh, you're just always cooking turkeys. Always, always. Oh. Any any tips on how that person that is going to the gym, that is doing the cardio, any tips on how they hold themselves accountable? Yeah, I'd say um, do it with a friend or get a coach. You know, there's there's so many coaches out there and you, you need to kind of vet them out a little bit to make sure there's some legitimacy there. But even like, you know, online coaches who, you know, can write programs and do some basic assessments to see where you're at. Um, people are so much more likely to stick to something if they have some skin in the game, you know, and so... Um, we even see that too, you know, from time to time we give out some free training and usually the people that get free training are the ones they show up like a couple times a week, don't put much effort into it as opposed to people who are like paying a, you know, their own dollar to come. Um, they get a lot out of it, you know? And so I definitely say that get, put some skin in the game and, you know, get a coach or someone to advise you or, or, or do it with someone who can hold you accountable to be there. And then again, you get that relational component of having someone, um, to do it with as well. I look back on my kind of fitness journey, whatever that kind of term may, may mean for folks. But I think that some of the most enjoyable times engaging in fitness for me has been with people. Right. And so that, that really resonates what you're saying. Yeah. I, I remember you used to give me some great spots back in the day. You were always a lot stronger than me, but I didn't hold it against you. Oh, he, that is a lie for everybody that is listening. <laughs> I don't know about that. This, this guy is a monster. Not John, not me. <laughs> uh, I want to turn from fitness to nutrition because obviously that's a big component of what you do. Yeah. Um, and like you've already kind of talked about, I've known you as somebody that has really been dialed in when it comes to nutrition. So I hate to ask this question, but can you kind of just walk us through the basics of nutrition? Like what can our listeners out there do to improve their nutrition? Yeah. Um, well, first off, a little, little disclaimer. I am by no means pro when it comes to nutrition. Um, I've learned a lot just kind of through my own research. And uh, we have some great dietitians on staff and some great dietitians who I've learned from, but I am no, by no means an expert. Um, yeah, some of the things that um, I've learned or what I, some of the things I stick to are things that can be helpful. Um, I think the biggest one is probably just what we call like an 80-20 approach um, with nutrition and with eating. And, you know, we think about, okay, I got to – do this diet to see X, Y, or Z results at the end, you know, and we just go like crazy for two weeks and we stick to it and it's good. And that maybe if we push to three weeks and then all of a sudden, you know, we've exercised so much willpower that we've just, you know, got to the end of ourselves and we go on a binge and eat and drink and do whatever we do for a weekend, you know, um, where it's like this hundred percent clean eating and then zero poor eating and it doesn't work, you know? And so this 80, 20 concept, means like 80% of the time eat what I know I should be eating and proper portions of that, you know, and then 20% of the time allow myself to go out and enjoy, you know, a couple of beers and a burger or whatever it may be, um, you know, a little, little splurge. And, and that's just like, we employ that with all of our pro professional athletes, um, with all of our clientele. That way you can just like make food an enjoyable process. Um, so that 80, 20 piece is huge. And then also to seeing food as fuel, Right. Like, again, I hate to go back to the Ferrari analogy because you said you'd never buy one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you if you, buy, if you have a Ferrari, you're not going to go and just put the cheapest grade fuel in it because then it's not going to run to its capabilities. You know, and the more we start to understand our bodies are way much more valuable than a Ferrari. You know, why would I want to constantly put horrible things into it? Um, you know, that can make a real big difference. Just that that framework of feud as, as food as fuel. 
Um, so those kind of like are some big like overarching things, um, you know, that we kind of preach and teach. And then real basics, it's like my wife and I, we try to cook most of our meals. Um, you know, if it's try to stay away from super processed foods, um, corny little saying, but we try to eat the rainbow often. So just like eating a wide variety of colors on our plates. Um, and then, yeah, when it's, you know, on the weekend, go out and enjoy a meal or go out and enjoy a drink, whatever it may be. Um, but I think a big piece is just trying to like do most of the cooking ourselves. you know, you eat a lot of vegetables, a lot of, uh, like a lot of lean meats. We have a saying that, uh, at our work that, uh, less legs, the better. So like, you know, your, your, your most ideal protein source is something that is say like fish, you know, like salmon, cause there's salmon, there's no legs. Whereas, you know, uh, chicken is two legs versus a cow. So a chicken would be better than a cow. And then, you know, last resort is the, the cow. So, again, not that you can't eat any of that stuff, but just uh, some little tips like that to kind of, you know, direct our, uh, our shopping habits a little bit. The less legs, the better. I really love that yeah. quote. I'm sure it doesn't apply to dating. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. <laughs> no, just for food, folks. Just for food. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Um, you also mentioned kind of getting a, a wide variety of fruits and veggies. And there's been a lot of discussion that I've heard recently from friends and family, et cetera, about plant-based diets. I just wanted to get your sense on any thoughts on that. Again, I know you're not a nutritionist. Yeah. What's your feeling on that? Yeah. I think it, people love extremes, right? Like people love say, Oh, you know, vegan's the best way to go. Oh, you know, meat, you got to eat meat every day. You got to have protein every meat. Like there's always extremes in our industry. Um, and this, you know, this latest kind of debate on, you know, vegan and plant-based diets has kind of stirred up a lot of people. Um, I think first, like we got to understand every, everyone's body's different. You know, we've had, we've had athletes that have come through and they've tried to go, go vegan and they're, they have, their body has, has had a horrible response. Like, almost like to the point of shutting down and our performance dropping drastically. And then we've had folks who have gone vegan and their bodies have really done well on that. Right. And so I think it's very dangerous to say that, you know, one method is, is the be all and end all, you know, um, similar to how people would say that for a workout method or, you know, that'd be like, it's almost like with personalities, right. You, you mentioned dating earlier. That's like saying, Oh, this person is going to be the best for everyone because they have all these qualities. It's like, no, it's like, you've got to find the right person for you. You know, because you have individual tastes and desires and, you know, in, in a, you know, in a boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse or whatever that, that may be. And our bodies are very similar too, right? You and me, are there, our bodies are going to respond differently to different things. And so seeing what works. Um, I also think in, the, in this industry too, it's, it's important to check our, check our sources and check our facts. Um, just, you know, and probably not get our nutrition advice from Netflix. That's a great lesson, I think. You know, um, just if, if people want to look up, there's a lot of uh, very experienced dietitians who have, you know, who, have, who are not saying that, you know, everyone needs to eat tons of meat, but are saying, hey, here's some things that the that documentary brought up and here how are they are actually quite false. Um, so, you know, there's an there's an author uh, or a, a coach dietitian guy named Christian Thibodeau. People can look him up if they're curious about some of the. Uh, potential fallacies in that documentary, but I'm not, I'm not against, uh, vegan or plant-based eating at all. I'm just, I'm against people saying this is the one way everyone has to eat. I would agree with you. Um, not having any information of my own, but, um, <laughs> what I will do is I will link to Christian Thibodeau again in the show. Yeah. Notes. So if folks do want to learn more then they can definitely check him out. Yeah. Um, on your fitness journey, John, um, Anything that you look back on and think, geez, if I had known that one thing, it really would have saved me months and months of time or pain or sweat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, another another big name. He's actually Canadian too. Uh, John Berardi. He's a, you know, runs a company called Precision Nutrition and just is a really smart when it comes to, um, you know, nutrition and how to create change for people. Um, and he, he was in presenting to our staff a year ago and he was that he asked our staff, you know, what are some of the, some of the reasons your clients don't get success, mm -hmm. you know? And we were all saying, well, you know, they don't want it bad enough. They don't stick to the nutrition program. They show up late. And we listed all these things that our clients don't do. 
And he said, that was exactly his point. He said, you didn't list anything that you do or you don't do as the coach. Um, and that was a real eye opener. It's like, man, like if, if this is kind of what we're thinking, it's, you know, it's all stuff they're not doing. Uh, I might have to look in the mirror and see, man, if they're not showing up on time, is that their fault? Or, or have I not made that an important enough as a coach, you know, or if they're not sticking to their meals or if they're not doing this, like how, how as a coach have I let them down in that way? You know? And so I think in the last little while, what I've learned is to put less of the blame on them. And, you know, sure. If they're showing up on time, they have to be accountable to some sense, but thinking as a coach, like what can I do to help an upgrade their life or help upgrade whatever we're trying to work on as opposed to just blaming it on them. Like trying to take the default that the problem is me, even though we know it's not always that case, but it's just uh, it kind of can be a helpful perspective sometime. And um, he really challenged um, ourselves, the coach or the mentor, whoever it may be to, you know, really take a deep dive into what we think works and um, take a deep dive into what we, what we believe in ourselves um, and then really get the best out of our client or our athlete. You said that the default is that the problem is with me. And I find that interesting because that's almost a great way to think about life in general, that it's a great way to think about your work or right. your relationships yeah. or your business. That if you start with that perspective, mm-hmm. I imagine that things probably get easier. It comes from a, a place of service and, and yeah. solution. Yeah. I won't get too religious on you, but in the, in the Bible, there's a verse that talks about taking the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your, your brother's. And it basically yes. says, it, it says like, you know, check, check yourself before you check someone else. And oftentimes we'll, we'll see actually how we are seeing something quite off or how we can do something differently. And then that quite, um, you know, quite reframes how we see the other person. That's another great quote. I think I've got about 50 quotes that I'm going to have to post on my wall. No, oh, geez. Yeah. It's just going to be John Barlow quotes everywhere. Yeah, well, none none of them are none of them are my quotes. <laughs> well, I'm giving you, I'm giving you credit. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. For the disclaimer, <laughs> well, these are not my quotes. Yeah, <laughs> and I will include that in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I see you, John. As um, like, I always have seen you as somebody that is an exceptionally high performer. Um, I think that you've accomplished really great things in your fitness. Obviously that goes without saying your, your work, uh, your personal life, your relationships, et cetera. I just want to get a sense of what do you do differently than everybody else that gives you that opportunity to achieve so much? Um, I think is that in terms Jared of like a, like just a, a general perspective? I think you can take it either way. Are yeah. Either a general or specific to fitness or your work. Yeah. I think, I think one thing is just like taking, I've always kind of tried to take care of myself. Um, you know, I was asking my wife earlier, like in preparation for this, like she always jokes about me having an efficiency complex. Like I like things done efficiently, efficiently. <laughs> efficiently. Um, and I think that's true. It, you know, sleep is one thing I really, really prioritize, um, sleep, nutrition, hydration, and exercise. Um, I've never been one to drink coffee, but if I do all those things, I really am kind of full of energy throughout the day. Um, and I think it comes down to kind of treating our, my body, our bodies like, um, uh, performance vehicles. You know, it's like I mentioned earlier, if, if we want to drive, drive that Ferrari to its best capabilities, I better put the best darn fuel in it I can and better, better not run into empty. Um, and so I think I've been pretty cognizant of doing, trying to do that over the years. Um, it's just taking care of myself. And so I'm, I'm not running on an empty gas tank all the time. And you don't and then, drink coffee. Wow. I, I know. I, people told me, Oh, wait, wait till you get to college. And they said, Oh, wait till you get, you know, a full-time job. And they said, Oh, wait till you have a kid and seven weeks into having a kid and no coffee yet. So, Oh man, you still got 17 years, 11 months and two days. I know. I know. I know. It's still, still I'm a just, long time. I'm just kidding. But I, I think one thing, you know, people, a lot of times people say, well, I don't I don't have time to sleep that much. I don't have time to exercise. Or I don't have time to, you know, cook a little more. It's like, I, I get it. Like life is so busy now. I feel like if we can make like small little dents in the day where we get like, say, you know, a quick 20 minute exercise session, or I'm able to, you know, take a quick nap or 
put my, you know, not watch a TV show. So I get a little more sleep, like a little bit can go such a long way, um, you know, in terms of recovery and making sure we are fully capable for the next day. Well, I think you're somebody that is always very recovered and very um, ready for the day. That is super admirable. Um, Any, yeah. Any specific routines that give you the opportunity to get more done? Oh, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) I go to bed in the nines, try to do that. So, you know, sometime in the nine o'clock range, go to bed. Um, And, you know, that way you can get up and get a jump on the day. Um, In terms of like actual, like really like tangible specific routines. um, You know, I think, uh, I think one real basic one is uh, in terms of food preparation, my wife and I, we always cook like way more than we need. That way I have, I have lunch for the next day and don't have to be scrambling around. Uh, trying to think, what am I going to do for lunch? How am I going to cook lunch? Um, so that's that's a basic because, you know, we always cook way more than we need the night before and have leftovers for the next day. Um, you know, try to try to minimize grocery shopping to, you know, once or twice a week. So I'm not always running out for that. But other than that, man, I can't think of any specific routines off the top of my head other than the fact that, like, I'm always just trying to think, like, what's the most efficient way to do things as possible? Um, it, it doesn't really seem like a chore. It's just kind of how I'm wired. It drives my wife nuts a little bit sometimes, but she understands who she married. Yeah, she committed. Oh, yeah, she did. What uh, what time would you get up in the morning? Um, it all depends. Like anywhere from like 4.30 to probably 6, 6.30. You know, what do you certain, do at 4.30? Um, you know, certain days I'm up at 4.30 probably if it's going to be a longer work day, I'll try to get a ride in in the morning before then. Um because again, it like seems crazy. Sometimes I'll tell myself, "Why am I waking up at four thirty? Like I should sleep for the next for another hour." But you know, as long as I've got a decent amount of sleep up until that point, seven hours or so, if I actually go out and get a good hour, hour and a half on the bike, I feel way better the rest of the day. Can get can get way more done. So it's like a little short term sacrifice and comfort, but it's a big, uh, big sacrifice in terms of efficiency and productivity, and just like my mood for the whole rest of the day. That is so admirable. I, I recently I've made the commitment to get four days a week at the gym and, and I'll nice. do that at, at five thirty in the morning. And that for me was a really hard switch because I find that every minute you decrease at that time in the morning just gets exponentially harder going right. from six o'clock to five thirty actually took me a lot of time to work to that stage. And so yeah. that you get up at four thirty is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it kind of forced to do with the temperatures here. So, right, the turkey thing—we already covered it. Yeah, <laughs> and I know that we've already covered a ton of quotes in this interview already. But is there any one of those, or or any quote in general that kind of really resonates with you right now? Um, there's one. Did you ever did you ever uh, read the Calvin and Hobbes cartoons? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, back in the day, there's one that Calvin said and. It always, it's always kind of stuck with me just about the whole, like, the process, you know, whether it be of, of training or, you know, going to school or entrepreneurship, whatever it may be. But um, Calvin said that day to day, nothing changes. But when you look back, everything is different. Um, and that's just, you know, that kind of speaks like we talked about to like two, the whole two steps forward, one step back uh, motto is like, we need to keep our head down and working. We will, we will face adversity. And oftentimes we won't see clearly like the path we're on um, or see really progress that much. But then look back a year, two years, 10 years um, down the road and be like, wow, look how far um, I've came. That ties in really well with that quote that you said early on, which was long-term consistency always trumps short-term intensity. Exactly. You got it. We're getting some continuity throughout the episode. I love it. (laughs) Glad to hear. Yeah. Uh, best book that you've read recently on fitness or nutrition and why? Um, to be honest, I haven't read a lot specifically on nutrition or fitness. Um, just, I find in this, I mean, I've, I have over the years read a lot of that stuff, but in the last probably handful of years, I've been trying to read things that are, um, a little less, um, right up the alley of nutrition and, le- and learn more from other, other industries per se. Um, just cause I think, you know, we all have so much to, to learn from, um, other professionals. And that's, that's one of the things I love about this podcast is it's not like a specific, uh, niche. It's, you know, it's basically how can we learn from different professionals in the field, you know? Um, and so 
you know, the, the, the book I've learned for sure the most from is the Bible. I mean, I quoted that a little bit earlier, just in terms of relational and treating people and, um, you know, being a servant-based leader as, as Jesus was. Um, but, you know, there's some really good books by the Chip and Dan Heath. Um, yeah. they, they have one called Change. That's, uh, that's, that's great. Again, because there's, there can be all this technical knowledge of, say, in my field of, you know, how to get less body fat or how to run faster or how to increase your bench press by 50 pounds. But that does, like, that matters, like, for the people who are, like, avid and love it. But for most people I work with, it's, like, it's more so about those interpersonal and, um, you know, connections and the relatedness you can build with someone else. And so, you know, definitely Chip and Dan's um, books have been have been huge um, to me. Um, so those are probably, like, the most, you know, again, they're not, like, lifting specific or nutrition specific, but some really good books about understanding people and how change comes about in people. That's excellent. And what do you think is the most important thing that you've learned in the last year something that maybe could impact our listeners in a positive way? Um, yeah, I don't want to like double up, but just kind of what I said a little bit earlier that um, seeing the problem as something that like seeing the problem as us, you know, because so often we see the problem as someone else like, oh, well, if only they would change, if only they do this. Um, and we never really look at um, ourselves and we really sell ourselves short because we're missing out on, you know, ways we could upgrade our own lives, you know, and, and then better those around us. So I think we're really turning the microscope uh, around and putting it back on ourselves um, as opposed to on others. Well, John, um, I want to finish off with one last question and I'm hoping that you can be a little vulnerable when I ask you about this, because yeah. at the, at the end of our strive meetings, what we always do is, one person reflects on the thing that is holding them back from achieving their goals or from achieving higher levels of success. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to pose that same question to you. And the question is, what do you think is holding you back from even higher levels of success right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, when he asked this, I was kind of thinking like success, like what does that term mean? I think it's important that, you know, us as individuals, we de define that for ourselves because you know, one person's success might be, you know, having, getting a great job and moving up and making X amount of money so they can do certain things. Whereas another person's success might, you know, be, you know, being able to spend five hours a night at home with their family or whatever it is. And so, um, you know, I think for me early on in the field, I saw success as uh, more of like a work related thing, you know, getting to a certain pot spot and, you know, affecting a certain amount of people. And, and now I see it like success is, uh, more of a balance, you know, being able to go and work an honest day and affect people work, but then also come home and be like a, a leader in my household and love my wife well and raise my son and then, you know, serve in our church. And so um, I think what's holding me back from those things right now is just my own selfishness, to be honest. And, you know, I think we all have a bit of selfishness in us. And for me, it's like, I'd like to chase my own endeavors, um, you know, and it's funny, like my little amateur biking career, I often chase that so much that, um, you know, I, I don't have as much time to, you know, to give to other people and give to other areas. And so um, that's one area that I, I still want to pursue, but trying to learn what it looks like, um, you know, to find balance in those things. Well, John, I have known you as one of the most giving people and one of the most genuine people that I've ever come across. And it, you may be too hard on yourself, my friend. <laughs> well, you asked me, asked me to be vulnerable and my wife taught me to be vulnerable in the last three years of marriage. So I love it. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. You are somebody that is achieving really great things in this world. You're impacting a ton of lives. And by doing this, I think you're just spreading that message even further. So I am really grateful that you were interested in sitting down and if you want to learn more about John, you can find him personally on LinkedIn at Jonathan Barlow. He'll be the most handsome guy there. And you can also find him on Instagram at J Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-W. -W. And you can find Exos online at teamexos.com. John, thank you for your time today. Yeah, Jared, thanks for having me on the show. It was great catching up again. If you know someone that started a business and you think is someone that is a really high performer, then I would love to have the chance to sit down and interview them as well. 
If you know someone like that, reach out to us on Instagram at Strive Accelerator or email us at striveyyc at gmail.com. And if you like the content from the podcast, then please subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Strive Accelerator. I hope you enjoyed this episode and hopefully you got some lessons from this that you can apply to your own health, wealth, or relationships. I created this podcast to help myself learn from those that came before me. And now I want to pass these lessons on to you to hopefully help you on your journey. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this content, then please subscribe and continue listening for our weekly episodes. 